listening to No Names All Game. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of No Names All Game. Today is Thursday, August 19th. We are just under two weeks away from the first game of the season at Wisconsin. A full, regular, normal, non-COVID season, knock on wood, we hope. And I cannot wait. Pat, how the hell are you, man? Tell me you're excited as I am. Oh, I'm so pumped up. I'm so nervous opening up with such a huge game. It's it's nerve-wracking, but it's exciting at the same time. You know, it's I like one of the tough parts about last season was we didn't get to open up with like a an easy game and it was just got harder from there. And man, it, we're doing the same thing here. So it's uh it's going to be a tough one, but before we start, I want to uh-huh. give a little I want to send out the the bet, the bat signal or the lion signal to any of our uh Upstate New York listeners, if you're uh, if you're on, I am gonna be in Buffalo for the Auburn game. So, drop me a line, tell me where I should watch the game. Uh, if you, you know, if you if you can hook me up with a solid spot and you happen to be there, first rounds on me. How's that sound, guys? There you go, Buffalonians. If uh, if you got a place to be, hit up Pat at Pat Calicchio. That's pretty cool. I'm actually gonna be in Chicago for that game at a music fest. So. I will be following along on my phone, unfortunately, um, but I'll make sure to bring an extra battery so I can I can make sure I don't I don't lose it mid game. Huge game sucks that I'm gonna miss it, but I've had these tickets for like two and a half years now. It's supposed to be pre COVID, during COVID, they just kept pushing it, so yeah. kind of have to be there. But that is here nor there. What we're here to talk about today is a preview of the offense. New offensive coordinator, third year for Clifford. We hope for some improvements across the board. Um, There's a lot depending on this offense. I mean, I think we all saw last year was, uh, I don't want to say abysmal at times, but I'll say abysmal at times. Um, And there were just a lot of holes, right? A lot of holes. You know, we lose our running backs. You know, we have have injuries. Uh, Cliff just doesn't look good. Um, There's there's a lot to, to hate on, but that's last year. This is this year. We are here looking at 2021. We're looking forward. We're positive vibes only. Um, so I think this will be a fairly quick, um, fairly quick episode. I say that all the time, but I think I mean it on this one. Um, previews are always tough because it's all speculation. We guess, we make predictions, we're not really sure, and you just hope for the best. So what we'll do here is we'll go position by position, um, give our thoughts, do some breakdowns on each position, talk about maybe some breakout players, some bold predictions, uh, and then answer some questions from the good folks on Twitter. So let's start with positions. Uh, we're going to start with the big boys up front, the O-line. Um, I know everyone's, everyone's, everyone's Jones didn't talk about quarterback. We'll get there. We've beat that horse to death. Let's talk, let's talk about O-line first because this is a hot topic every single offseason. Um, we have a couple of Twitter questions on this one uh, from Sweens, uh, our guy Sweens, Sween Eggs and Ham. Uh, how do you think the O-line will look this year? Finally, the year it's not a liability, question mark. And then Colby at Colby Collins says, besides Miranda and Walker, how solid is this line going to be this year? Would make a huge difference for Cliff if the line is solid. So I think we say it every year. This is finally the year that the O-line is going to be good. And then we have kind of mixed results. So what's your take, uh, what's your take on the O-line going into this year, Pat. You guys know me. I have been a staunch O-line critic, but I'm loving Phil Troutwine. I'm liking the makeup of this offensive line. I, I think this is the year it is not going to be a liability. I think this would be the first year, like, in got to be 15 years that Penn State is going to have a good offensive line. Uh, and my, like, what, what I want, you know what I'd be thrilled with? If we can come out of the season with less than 20 sacks. I'd be thrilled. 
that would be nice. I'd be yeah. very okay with that. Um, yeah, I think I think it's interesting because we have, I mean, we pretty much have four of the five positions completely locked down. Left tackle is Rashid Walker. Uh, center is Mike Miranda moving in from guard. Right guard should be Juice Scruggs. And right tackle is Caden Wallace. Um, very interesting that in Cliff's uh, name, image, likeness deal with the local restaurant. Those four were there with him. <laughs> like no one else, no one else was there to like do the photo shoot, um, which is kind of telling. Maybe it was a coincidence, but probably more telling that like those guys are the four starters. We know that. Uh, and then left guard is a little bit of a question mark. So I think as you go through those guys, you you feel better than good about about pretty much all four of them. Uh, left tackle Rashid Walker has been very consistent has gotten NFL draft buzz. Um, you know, I'm not an offensive lineman guru, like, but as, as I'm doing this countdown on Twitter, as I go through watching, you know, uh, film to make these like little highlight clips, I, I honestly, with, with Walker, like I, I couldn't find a ton of like wow plays or amazing plays, but consistently doing his job at left tackle. Like there's not much more you can ask for. Um, Miranda bumps in from guard to center. Um, he's someone that the program has always spoken highly of. Um, really liked what he's done at guard. So there's, there's some, you know, change there moving in, having to call the, call the protections and, and, you know, act as sort of the leader of center, but he's got the experience. Um, Juice Scruggs came in at the end of last year and, and, and in moments of last year at guard showing um, all the potential in the world. He's someone who came into Penn State with a lot of potential, um, you know, suffered an injury uh, from a car accident, I believe it was early on that set him back. But he looks like he can plug in as, as a really, really nice starter um, at right guard. And then Caden Wallace, uh, at right tackle, um, he was one that I actually had the most fun making an offensive line highlight video of. There were just so many plays where he's just mauling guys, carrying them over, pancaking them. Um, and this is a guy that Troutwine said that he has the potential to be one of the best linemen that he's ever worked with. So you kind of have to love what you're hearing about that. Um, left guard. I don't know who's going to be there. I mean, Des Holmes was the name that was thrown out um, kind of all off season. Um, but now you have Eric Wilson, the transfer from Harvard and Anthony Wigan, um, a transfer from Lackawanna in his second year too. So I, I don't have a lot to say on the O-line, honestly. I think that, I think it's pretty simple. Like I feel good about four out of the five positions. The fifth one, I think I'll feel okay once the starter's named and got to kind of close your eyes and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you got four good choices there. You can kind of, you can get by with that, you know, at the very least. And I, you know, I, I'm the same with you. I think at the very least I'm going to feel okay with whoever gets named at left guard. Yeah. And if you look at the past couple of years in 2019, we gave up 32 sacks in 2020, uh, a shortened year, we gave up 28. So on that same pace, like you mentioned, if we could, we could reduce that number significantly down to the 20 range. Um, you know, that's, that's a huge improvement. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about, we'll talk about a little bit of what's Clifford's fault what's versus what's the O-line's fault. Uh, but having a strong O-line just does, I mean, it, it's where everything starts. So I hope this is the year. I, I feel good about this being the year, but I'm a little bit cynical in the sense, like until I see it, I'm not really going to believe it fully. Yeah, of, of course. I, you know, I'm, I'm jumping all the way in just because I've, I've been such a harsh critic. Um, I am O-line Pat this year. Uh, I'm going to be – I'm calling it right now. We're getting fewer than 20 sacks. We're going to average more than 175 yards a game on the ground. And Rasheed Walker is going to be an All-American. Bold I'm, I'm saying it right now. I love it. I love it. I will, I will say this. I do think 
both tackles, uh, Walker and uh, Caden Wallace, will both be all Big Ten, first team, second team kind of thing. Um, I think they're both that good. Um, all American, that's bold, and I respect I'm your saying opinion. it. I don't know if I'm going that far I'm going yet, on but, the record right now. But I like it. Uh, all right, let's pivot to running backs. Um, this is the uh, embarrassment of riches, they call it. Um, but as we know from our recent history, that can be gone in the blink of an eye. Um, we have five guys this year, five guys that we feel really good about. You got Noah Kane, you got Devin Ford, you got Kevon Lee, Keziah Holmes, and then the transfer from Baylor in John Lovett. Um, I think the, the big storyline here is like, what's the breakdown? How are they all going to be used? So let's start there. How many do you think we're actually going to be using on a game-by-game -game basis? And like, how do you see that breakdown happening? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I read something recently, and I, and I think it might have been Franklin saying that like, realistically, you can only get three guys seriously involved. And that, that's absolutely true. You can't have four guys splitting 25% of the carries and, and a quarterback who runs – 10 times a game. It's, it's impossible. Um, the, the big question mark in this group is like, can Noah Kane stay healthy? Cause it's unfortunately been a problem uh, provided he is, I'd want to see him getting, you know, right around that 50% mark. Uh, I think that was like journey Brown was right around there last year. Um, and was it Devin Ford who was near it around there last year? Uh, so journey was two years journey ago. Two years ago. I meant keep on. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I, I like Kevon Lee, uh, Devin Ford. I found like, you know, I, we kind of thought he would step in as the feature back when Noah Kane went down and he wasn't able to fill that role. But I think Noah Kane right now is like the only serious feature back in this, in this backfield. I think if you're getting him around 50, Kevon Lee around 20, and then like the other 10 split between Clifford and, uh, Devin Ford. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting. We put this out as like a Twitter question, like what's your ideal breakdown? And and it was, I, it was surprising to me how many. Well, that was some terrible was like, math I just did. But yeah, no, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to call you out. I wasn't going to call you out. <laughs> I, we all knew what you meant. The remaining X percent yeah. split amongst the, the last guys. We were, you know, we're not a math podcast. That's all right. Um, it, it was interesting to see, to see how many different answers there were. Some guys, you know, really ca clamoring for Kane to be that 50% plus back. Some guys talking about Kane and Lee splitting, you know, kind of perfectly with the rest taking over. So, um, yeah, I looked up the, the last couple seasons numbers, uh, and the lead back was closer to 50% than I thought. So in 2019, uh, Journey Brown was at 48% of the carries, Noah Kane at second at 24%. Then Devin at 16 and Ricky Slade at 12. So that's where you kind of have your bell cow and journey knows the change of pace guy. And then Devin and Ricky, that was kind of in blowouts and in garbage time, you know, when they, when they needed, you know, some fresh legs or, or different opportunities. Uh, last year we lose Jared Brown. We lose Noah Kane. Everyone's freaking out. Uh, insert Kevon Lee becomes, you know, another bowling ball, strong runner, bell cow kind of guy. Uh, he ends up at 47% of the carries. Devin Ford with 29 and Kazai Holmes with 24. Um, and I think that's more closely what you're going to see. I think you're going to see Noah Kane um, probably around the 40. I don't think you quite see him get to 50 just because coming off of injury, having the talent, you don't really want to burn anyone out. Um, of course, you're going to feed the hot hand. You're going to go with what's working. But I, I think you're going to see Noah around 40. Um, 
you know, Kivon, I think earned that second spot. Uh, so I think he's probably another like a 30% guy. So that's what 70. And then, yeah, the rest of the 30%, even taking Clifford out. So those percentages I just read to you were just running backyards, not, not accounting for uh, quarterback. Um, you know, you got three guys, you got John Lovett, which I think is the question mark. We don't really know how he's going to be used. Um, and then Devin and Kazaya are both, a little bit more of that, like, faster, shiftier guy. I think Kazai is the fastest, probably. Um, Devin has shown he's got some speed. I don't think he's, I don't think he's the fastest of all of them. But um, I, I think that's how it needs to be, um, is you have to have someone in that lead back role. You can't be rotating four guys out there, like you mentioned. Uh, in a perfect world, it's, it's Noah and Kivon getting 25% each in quarter one and two, and then everyone else, you know, taking it over in the, the second half because we're up by so much. Uh, that's not going to happen. You're going to have to rely on your guys. At least not 12 um, times. Not 12 times. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Noah Kane staying healthy is, is first and foremost. If, if he's staying healthy, he should be in that 40% range of the running back carries. Um, I think Kevon has earned the second spot. Uh, and then the other three kind of filter it, which – it's upsetting. I love Devin Ford. Um, he was, he was one of mine, like, you know, when he was a recruit and a prospect, some, a guy that I really, really liked, but you've even heard like Joan Sider talk about it in uh, some, some interviews and press conferences of like, you know, he's got to put it all together. He's got to put it all together and like kind of been open about it. Like he's not there yet. He's got to, he's got to improve. So I think that kind of shows you where he lands in the pecking order. Um, and Kaziah Holmes, I think, is kind of, you know, interesting, too, because he's shown flashes. Uh, he's shown that he can be shifty in his limited touches. Maybe he's a guy that surprises you and breaks out, you know, and, and leapfrogs some of that. So I'm rambling, but I love this running back stable. There's just – there's so many possibilities. Yeah, I'd like to see, at the very least, um, without getting, like, too picky between the one and the one and two, I want to see Noah and Kivon getting, like, roughly 70% of the carries. And I wouldn't mind seeing Kazai Holmes jump over Devin Ford a little bit. I, I, he did show some flashes last season. He's still, young, you know, one of probably the youngest guy in the room, right? Yeah. So him and Kevon are both true sophomores. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to yeah, isn't that, show isn't some that flashes too? as a true freshman. I, I, I wouldn't mind giving you a bit of a shot as a your second year in. And I think, I think he could really be that change of pace guy too, right? I think, I think we saw yeah. from Kevon. You do need that. Yeah, I think, I think we saw from Kevon last year that he's a similar runner to Noah, uh, both, you know, downhill, hard-nosed runners going to just run through you, um, but maybe not the fastest guy in the room, where Kaziah was juking people, spin moves, you know, trying to do his best Saquon Barkley impressions. He wears number 26. Yeah. Um, that could be a nice little thunder and lightning combo uh, if he gets in there. So um, a lot of talent to choose from, a lot of options to choose from. Um, it is kind of unfortunate that we don't have that cupcake game to start because that's this is one of those things that you could kind of figure out in a game like that, like, okay, who is that third guy, you know, get everybody some touches. Um, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they use all five. All right, let's move on. Um, tight ends. We are, uh, for the first time in a while, uh, no Mike Kosicki or Pat Fryermuth on, on the roster. Um, we move into a little bit of an unknown, uh, Brenton strange, Theo Johnson, the top two guys uh, who kind of filled in last year. Uh, what are you expecting out of this tight end group this year? I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with, like, it's just you don't know what to expect. Um, I think this is sort of similar to our wide receiver room last year where there's guys, you know, there's names you've heard and there's potential, but there's not a lot of proven uh, stardom yet. Uh, I really – I'm very high on Theo Johnson. I'm, ex- I'm really expecting to see some, some big things out of him, but 
Strange's been solid, dependable, good tight end. And uh, I, th- I think he's definitely going to be starting the season as like the number one option of tight end. Yeah, I think that's kind of what we saw last year after after Pat, uh, you know, went out with injury uh, on the season. Strange had 17 receptions for 164 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Theo Johnson, four catches for 56 yards, uh, no touchdowns, which is honestly a lot. I thought he had more. Um, I thought there was more for both of them last year, but I guess, you know, we just didn't didn't have that prolific of an offense. To spread the it was ball only around. a couple of games, too. Yeah, very true. Um, but but Brenton Strange showed enough that I think, you know, he comes in as, like you said, maybe the presumed number one. But I think Theo's a guy that came in also with so much potential. He was a high four-star. and He was like the number one player in Canada in his year. Um, he's big, too. I think he's like 6'6", if I remember correctly. Um, Theo Johnson's 6'6", 256. Like, that's crazy. Um, Brenton Strange is 6'3", 250. So, you know, three inches taller. Um, it's three inches, but hey. That matters. Um, yeah. So I think um, I think you're going to see a lot of both of them on the field. Um, this is a question that we had from uh, CJ. We'll get into some of the other hypotheticals later. But he said, do you think we see more four wide receiver sets or two tight end sets? Um, you know, what we learned this offseason about Mike Yersich is he is a kind of air raid, fast tempo guy, you know, and he's going to spread the ball out. Um, having two tight ends that are seasoned enough at this point got some real game experience and have the talent I think gives you a ton of opportunity to have them both on the field at the same time yeah I think it's a uh I'm more confident in those two guys than like our receiving group after our top two yeah (laughs) we'll pivot pivot to the wide receivers in a minute um but i think i I think there's there's only so much we can speculate on between the two i think it's going to be a very close competition i think you'll see a lot of opportunity with both of them on the field creating mismatches again when you got a guy who's 6'6 250 and you know you can get him on on a linebacker who can't cover him that's an opportunity that you're going to want to exploit so i think it's those two guys um and then it'll be interesting to see Tyler Warren um, as a redshirt freshman, also 6'6", 250. Um, big, a lot of big tight ends. Um, he's a guy that we've they heard tend some to be buzz big from. Yeah, yeah, typically. I mean, I'm, I, I just always, like, I always get, like, surprised by that. Like, these are just massive human beings, and they're, like, 19 years old. <laughs> um, but I think Tyler Warren could uh, – could mix in there as, as a third guy too, which would be interesting. So um, let's pivot to those wide receivers though. Uh, we have – Returning, obviously, the top two from last year, like you mentioned, is Jahan Dotson. It's Parker Washington. Um, before we get into what's after them, what are you expecting from those guys this season? I mean, I, I think they're both going to absolutely ball out. Jahan Dotson was a guy who, if you were watching Penn State, you were going, like, this is a first-round pick. This is a, one of the best wide receivers in the country. This is the best wide receiver in the conference. And almost no one seemed to agree with us. And I think this is so between his performance last season and like really being somehow still under the radar this season, I think he's coming in with a big time chip on his shoulder, something to prove, uh, hopefully improved quarterback play this season all leads up to him really like showing out and securing that like, you know, first, second day draft pick. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to me that he's still, 
like not on the radar for a lot. Um, I have a personal vendetta against Pro Football Focus just because they don't <laughs> ever put him on any of their fucking lists. I know. It'll be like top 10 most re- top ten wide receivers returning. or They love to quarter though, don't they? Yeah, they do. They, but So I have my vendetta on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. I hate this. But they, they had him listed as like the most valuable, I think, but didn't have him on like their top 10. It was very, very strange. Um, but he's not on a lot of lists. Uh, you know, our friend, uh, our friend Brett at Pick 6 Previews just put out his All-America team. Um, and he put out a first, second, third, fourth team with three wide receivers on each group, and he wasn't even listed on there. Um, you know, you get the love of both guys at Ohio State. There's Olave and Wilson. Um, you know, there's John Mechie at Alabama. There's always the guys at Clemson. Um, but Jahan Dotson had an unbelievable year last year uh, in a shortened season, 52 receptions, 884 yards, and eight touchdowns. Uh, I remember when we were doing our preview, we were talking about like, oh, we're going to see a thousand yard receiver. And then we caught ourselves. We're like, oh, it's a shortened season. Like, no, we're probably not going to see a thousand yard receiver. This guy put up 884. That's yeah. wildly impressive. Um, not to mention, you know, the one handed catches and the highlight reel moments that we saw and fell in love with. So I agree. Just um, the, the clutch moments, man. Yeah, clutch. That's a perfect way to put it. Perfect way to put it. Um, I don't know. Like, he's a smaller receiver that, you know, he, he kind of plays plays the slot he plays outside you know they kind of move him around from time to time um but but i think he like you said he's gonna come in with that chip on his shoulder and he came back for a reason right like he could have declared last year and i think he would have been a round five round six pick um just because it's one year it's a sample size right you know um he had some the year before but i i don't think he had enough to really wow them another year like that this year as, as a true number one in a powerful big 10 offense I mean, you're looking at a second round pick, third round pick, like at worst, I think. So I agree. I'm really excited for him. I think I may be even more excited for Parker Washington. Um, this is a guy who we talked about in, in the preview of last season was like, okay, Keandre Lambert Smith was the highest rated in that class, but we, we kind of like Parker Washington. He looks the most football ready, quote unquote. Uh, and he proved it. 36 catches, 489 yards, six touchdowns as a true freshman. Um, he just became a really, really reliable target. And I think you're going to see that again this year as, as the, he's the clear number two. Yeah, I think it was uh, before the season, our, our buddy from for the bloggy coach Caduti was uh, warned us that Parker Washington was a, a man playing a boy's game down there. And I, I mean, he was right. This kid was making big plays um, just you know, I, he's, he is the number two guy. I think he closed it. And, like, he didn't start off super hot. He had one, like, you know, one or two games before he really got going, if I remember correctly. Um, but he put up nearly 500 yards last season in nine games. I'd like to see him be in that, like, you know, with a 12-game 12 12 game schedule in that, like, 800-yard range, I think would be great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is five, six touchdowns. That's, that's a great second year. Yeah. hundred percent. And this is an offense. Again, if, if your stitch is able to do what he wants, he likes driving the ball downfield. He, you know, we, we talked about uh, Shiraka's approach. And, and again, this I think was with coach Caduti uh, Shiraka's approach and what we saw him do at Minnesota the year prior was like, beat you to death with slants, beat you to death with slants, beat you to death with slants, and then take your, 
shot like over the top. Uh, Yersich, from what I've read and what I've watched, and you know, the for the blogging videos and everybody else is writing their articles dissecting him, is he's a guy who is gonna just kind of throw it over the top as much as he can. He's going to go for the chunk plays. Even when he is running the ball, he's not doing it to ground and pound and run the clock. He's doing it to create lanes, find the mismatches, find the openings, and and create 10-yard runs, 12-yard runs, 15-yard runs. Um, so I think that bodes really well for our receiving core. Obviously, it will depend a lot on our quarterback, which we'll talk about next. Um, but I think you've got to feel really, really good about Dotson and Washington coming back. And then the question becomes, who's after that? Um, so what's, what's your predictions or thoughts on, on who the next guy or next few guys up are in that wide receiver room? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like this, you know, is it going to be the Cam Sullivan Brown and Daniel George, the kind of names we've been hearing, like supposed to be coming up the last couple of seasons, but have yet to make the big impact? Or is it going to be Keandre Lambert-Smith or, you know, a, a young guy? I, I like Keandre Lambert-Smith, man. I, you know, he was that highly touted recruit coming in that class. I, I think he's got the tools to do it. I, I expect him to be that, that third receiver. Yeah, I agree. Um, and this is probably a boring podcast because, like I said, there's not – like when you're doing preview, there's only so much that hasn't been said already that, like, you can continue to talk about. Um, but this is when I, like – I feel like it's, it's – people get very excited every year for, like, Cam Sullivan Brown, Daniel George. Like, they're, you know, these, they're going to take that step. And, like, I would love to be wrong. I would love for them both to do really well. But, like, um, Cam Sullivan Brown is a redshirt senior. I think Daniel George is a redshirt junior. So these guys are – fourth and fifth year in the program like just what's more likely is it more likely that a guy in his fourth or fifth year is finally going to break out and be a real contributor or is it more likely that the highly touted kid who showed some flashes in real game action as a true freshman last year will put it together in his second year and and take a, a huge step forward um and I think that's it. I think it's, I think it's Andre Lambert Smith. And uh, you know, if you have, if you have that trio of Dotson, Washington, Lambert Smith, that's a three that you feel really good about with maybe Cam Sullivan Brown and Daniel George being that fourth guy that rotates in, you know, guys need breathers, guys need sub packages. You know, there are going to be some four wide receiver sets. Um, I just don't think they're going to be the guys that like out of nowhere after four years, like, wow, he's a, you know, he's a number one or number two receiver. I just, I don't see it happening, unfortunately. I have to agree with you on that. Um, and then there's a bunch of other young guys. I'll save that because uh, I do have a bold prediction around that. But th this is a okay. deep wide receiver room. Um, we haven't really seen it, but but it's a it's a fairly deep wide receiver room. Um, you know, we took I think four wide receivers in that class with Keandre and Parker. There's two other guys, um, another two true freshmen come in, and and Liam Clifford, Sean's brother, uh, and Harrison Wallace, who was who was a nice pickup. Um, we do lose Lonnie White Jr. I think we talked about that in the last one. He did uh, was making his debut with the Pirates organization today uh last i checked he was two for two two doubles so good for him yeah, um, might have made the right choice might, might have made the right choice he's already playing professional ball in their in their minor league system um but I, but i think it's i think it's a deeper group than we've seen and and hopefully you know another year with taylor stubblefield and uh you know this new offense can get the most out of this group let's move on the topic everyone wants to talk about topic everyone wants to hear about Sean Clifford at quarterback. Um, what's there to say that hasn't been said already? Like, let's 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 do this. It's it's we've said so many things about Sean Clifford over the years. What do you hope to see 
out of him this year? Not let's not talk about the negatives or the holdbacks, but like what what would be a good season for you with Sean Clifford? Uh, completion percentage getting getting up around like the sixty five percent area. I think that would be tremendous. Um, at least twenty touchdowns. Um, you know, twenty to I, I'd like more than twenty, maybe. Yeah, I think twenty five is a good benchmark. And keep the interceptions to like under 10, 25 to 10. 10 a little high, even. 10 uh, high. 10 high. Yeah. No, I actually, I like the interception number he had his first season, seven. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll so if we look that. at, we look at Cliff's first season in 2019, I mean, yeah. a full season, he threw for 2,800 20... for 25 and a 65% completion percentage. I'd love that. That would be good. His, his first year, I uh, threw for 2,600 yards, 2,650, had a 59% completion, 23 touchdowns, seven interceptions, was sacked 24 times. Um, I, I tried to do some comparisons of like the McSorley era to the Clifford era because I thought by pulling the data, I would see a bunch of glaring things that we did so much better in those years from 2016 to 2018 versus these last two. Um, and surprisingly, they weren't all that different. Um, the points per game, very yeah. different. Uh, we were scoring, we were more effective in the red zone. Um, uh, but the actual statistics of like yards per game, pass yards per game, third down efficiency, interceptions, like even interceptions uh, in, in McSorley's years, it was eight, 10 and eight in Clifford's it's seven and nine. Um, so like that was happening. The sacks weren't all that different. It was a little bit fewer. He averaged 28 a year. Cliff's averaging 30 a year. Um, which again are not the quarterback's fault, but just an indicative of, of what they're going through. Um, the only one that really stood out to me and, and is something that I hope we see with Mike Yersich, and I'm going to get to another comparison in a minute, um, is the, the yards per pass attempt. So this is something that you hear the NFL analysts talk about all the time. It's something that I've never really paid attention to because I just didn't quite get it. Um, but I mean, it makes sense. If you're, if you're attempting to push the ball down the field further and you're having success with your completion rate, you're going to win more often than not. Uh, and in 2016, uh, you know, the year that we all fell in love with, uh, Trace and Jomo, uh, we were averaging 9.3 yards per attempt. That's pretty damn good. That's, you know, you're, you're moving the ball down the field at a first down clip almost every time you're throwing the ball. Um, last year, in Clifford's year, uh, obviously a down year, we know, uh, we were throwing seven yards per attempt. Even the year before that, 7.8. Um, it, it, it doesn't sound like a lot. It's only a yard or two difference, uh, but it really does make a difference. So what I did is I compared this to our – uh, playoff teams from last year. Cause that's what I always look at. I look at, all right, how far off are we from playoff teams on some like major categories? Uh, so the first one you talked about was completion percentage. You hit the nail on the head. So Clifford again at, you know, 59% his first year, 60, almost 61. He actually improved last year, believe it or not. Um, yeah, that's just not going to cut it. If we look at the four playoff teams from last year, uh, Justin Fields at Ohio state, 70%. Mac Jones at Bama, 77% completion, Unreal. which is just insane. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, I know he was hurt, but while he was healthy in the games he played, 69%. Uh, and then Ian Book at Notre Dame, which is the outlier in this four, they weren't nearly as good. Even he was at 65%. Um, so you look at the average of those guys, they're, they're completing 70% of their passes. That's 10% more than what Clifford's been doing. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, especially in the big moments on third down, on fourth down. And, mm -hmm. like, 
you know, you, you actually, I kind of, I thought you, you kind of pointed the, uh, accidentally pointed the problem out perfectly. We are like, well, you know, the, the stats aren't that different except the points. Like, yeah, because we're not doing <laughs> it in the red zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not doing it in the red zone and we're not, we're not, we're putting up all the same yards, but we're not scoring because we're, we can't score. <laughs> yeah, it's it was a problem. Uh, it was a problem. Yeah, it's it's red zone. It's you know turnovers are are obviously costly and, and timely depending on when they happen. Um, and it's it's tempo. It's controlling the game. I think that's something we did much better in 2016, 2017 in the Jomo eras of of being able to control the game with the tempo of our offense. Whereas last year it felt so many times, you know, three and out, or even if we were driving a drive would just stall and we would lose all the momentum. Um, so I think you need to find some of that back. And, and some of that falls on cliff in, in the completion percentage. You can't be killing drives, missing open passes, missing open reads. Um, the other one, like I talked about was that yards per pass attempt. So again, last year we were seven, the year before that 7.8, um, Justin Fields in Ohio state last year, nine yards per attempt, Mac in Alabama, 10 yards per attempt. And I get it. They have more talented wide receivers. They have better offensive line. They have more time to throw. I'm not saying we can do what they're doing, but I think that's what we need to strive to be getting towards is pushing the ball down the field, taking those shots and not just managing the game. You know, we've talked about that so many times. We've got, we need, we need Cliff to be better than a game manager. If he's just a game manager, that that's our ceiling. You know, we'll be an above average team, slightly above average and, you know, we'll, we'll go eight and four. We'll go nine and three. Yeah. I mean, I think the running woes from especially the beginning of the season last year played a part in this because the, the more our run game can be a game breaker can is something that you have to game plan against is something that you have to respect. The more it's going to open up these opportunities for Clifford to push the ball downfield to be, you know, I, I shouldn't say to be more accurate, but to have more open receivers. Yeah, and I think I think it'll be interesting too because, like I said, I was watching Coach Caduti's video uh, for the bloggy. Check them out if you haven't watched it. Kind of dissecting Yarsich's scheme and like the way he set his running backs up, whether it be on you know outside zone reads or short uh, dump off passes to get them in space. Like like I said, they were getting 12 yards a clip, 15 yards a clip. It wasn't just dive it up the middle to get three or four and, and keep keep the ball moving forward. It was no, we're going to attack them and we're going to move forward. Um, so a couple other things, uh, just comparing to the top teams from last year, and then I'll wrap this segment up. Um, talked about completion percentage, talked about yards per pass attempt. Uh, third down conversion, um, our last two years was right around 42% uh, both years, which like doesn't sound terrible, right? You're 42% of the time you're converting. Obviously, you'd like it to be higher, but it doesn't sound terrible. You compare it to you know some of these, these playoff teams, uh, Ohio State and Notre Dame were both at 49%. Uh, Clemson was at 46 and again, Bama, 50, 59% on third down. And again, I, know, I understand Bama is a wildly different team than we are. I get it. I'm not trying to say we can do that. But if you want to compete and you want to be in the college football playoff, these are the, these are the offenses that you are You've got to creep to. up to half, half of your third downs. You, you have to. You have to. Um, and then finally, interceptions. Uh, Fields had six. Mack had four, which is crazy. Uh, uh, Lawrence had six and, uh, book had, uh, actually, no, this is, this is the team as total. So that's Lawrence and, and DJ had six. Ian book only had three. Like as much as we clowned on Ian book, he had three interceptions. Clifford had nine. Like that, that is a game changer. Okay, Complete in, game changer. In nine games. So yes. Not even a full season. He had to make well, that's why you, well, that's why you win last year. 
that's when you were saying like, oh, 10 would be good. Like, hell no. I want in yeah. 12 games, I want him throwing less than six. Like yeah. it shouldn't, it should happen once every other game. It should, it shouldn't be something that you count on that every single game your starting quarterback is going to throw an interception. And we've become accustomed to that. Even, even in the trace world, like we were throwing interceptions. I get it. But like, again, what are the top teams doing that we're not? They're protecting not the that. ball. They're protecting their quarterback. They're converting on third down and they're taking shots down the field. So yeah, I would love to see Clifford with like a, you know, near 3000 yard season, 30 touchdowns, six interceptions. That would be incredible. Yeah. I think it's going to happen. That's another story. I have no idea, but uh, we'll see. So we do have one question on Clifford. This comes from Nick Shue, Nick Shue 32. That rhymes. Nice. Uh, says, how short of a leash will Clifford be on this season? What do you think? Um, from the coaching staff or the fans? Uh, the fans, it's like the, the leash the fans, is it, It's going to be one half. <laughs> yeah. It's going to yeah. be the first drive. <laughs> Yes, um, the, the first throw. <laughs> what do you think, I, realistic? It's not, it's not the answer any of you guys want to hear, but there is no leash for Sean Clifford. Yeah. Like, he's the starting quarterback of his team. He's the only quarterback with any significant game experience. I mean, he would literally have to go out and throw six interceptions in the first two games to get benched. Yeah. I agree, and that's sad. Um, but, but I agree there's, you know, you let Will Levis transfer, uh, Will Levis who eats bananas in the most ridiculous way I've ever seen. If you haven't seen that video, go to Twitter. He eats the whole thing with the PL on it. It's wild. Um, but he was just named starting quarterback at Kentucky. Um, say what you want about Kentucky. They've been a decent program as of late and they are in the SEC. They beat us in a bowl game. What, three years? They beat us in a bowl game and they're an SEC program. Will Levis is a starting quarterback in the SEC. All year, what's going to happen is we're going to do a little bit of scoreboard watching. We're going to be looking at what Will Levis is doing. Because if he lights it up, and especially if Clifford is not performing, fans are going to be sitting there saying, how the hell did we let this guy leave? How the hell did we misuse him to be just a run-up-the-gut quarterback when he's actually capable of so much more? Now, if he is you know, average or mediocre, or if Cliff's doing well, it won't matter. But that's going to happen all year. But the fact of the matter is, once he's gone, your depth chart right now is Sean Clifford, Taquan Roberson, who has, I can't imagine, more than 10 pass attempts in his career. Um, it's probably even less than five, but I don't have the exact number. Uh, and Christian Bayou, true freshman. So for Roberson to take over, I think it would have to be catastrophic, like you mentioned. Yeah. Like, like it just, there's, there, I, as much as frustrating as it's going to be for us, like, there's just not going to be a better option if you don't feel that good about your backups. Yeah, I'm there. So there is no leash. Sean, Sean Clifford is a free range quarterback this year. There's, it's brutal. He is just it's roaming brutal. the yard. It, it's brutal on our minds. I don't, I don't mean it's brutal that Sean is our quarterback because positive vibes only. I'm over that. I, I believe in him. I think this is going to be his season, man. It has to be. It I'm, has I'm to calling be. I believe, a bounce back season. I love it. I love it. Um, all right, let's get into a couple of these last uh, hypotheticals from our good friend CJ Scaltzetti. Uh, so we said, do we see more four wide receiver sets or two tight end sets? I think we both answered probably more two tight ends um, unless the wide receivers just completely shock us uh, over under two and a half times per game. We go under center. Under. <laughs> so this is, this is a sound bite from Mike Yersich in one of his early press conferences. It might've even been his intro one day. Someone asked him that. And I think it was asked as like a joke. And he was like, you know, there's times to go under center. There, there's a strategic advantage to it. Like, he kind of like, he didn't shut the door on it. Um, 
right, this was, if this was over under two and a half times for the season, I might say over. <laughs> per game, I'm also going to say under. But, hey, maybe that's the key. He talked about it being able to open, like, the play-action pass and give you kind of a different element, you know, when, when your, your back is to the defense as opposed to just the read options that we've seen. So I'm going to go under, but <laughs> it'll be interesting. Uh, most receiving touchdowns. Who do you think has the most receiving touchdowns? This you got to go with Jahan on this one. Um, See ya. I think I'm going to go, gonna go different. Second most. What's that? Oh, okay. I, th- I think the real discussion is who gets the second most. Yeah, so I think I'm going to go uh, – I think Parker Washington is going to have the most um, just because I think uh, the, the attention that Dotson's going to get – Dotson's still going to have a great year, but I think – um, I think the attention that he's going to get, I think, opens up a lot of opportunity for Parker Washington. Um, I mean, the kid had six in a nine-game season. That is a that's as a true freshman. That's no joke. As a true freshman, and Dotson yeah, he had what, finds the I end said? zone. Yeah, yeah, I think so. He he's finds a, the end a, zone. He finds the end zone. He's a big playability. Um, again, I think we're going to rely on our tight, tight ends in the red zone. I don't think I don't think enough like to to push them over the top. Um, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my guy Parker Washington. Uh, over under red zone fades per game. I only accept zero per game as an answer. Uh, how many red zone fades do you want to see this season? I, I've been on, you know, I've been on this train for three years. I cannot stand this play. It's and like, in, unless you have a, you know, Calvin Johnson, like <laughs> Plaxico Burris, like those giant wide receivers who just jump over everyone and make that play stop running this play <laughs> i agree uh i don't i don't know if this is in your stitches playbook um i don't think we have the personnel for it uh parker washington is 510 Jahan dotson is 511 keandre lambert smith is 61 uh unless you're well, somehow did, it, would, run- it would probably be the theo johnson I was going to say, unless you're somehow putting a tight end out on an island and you're, you're putting Theo out there as his 6'6 big body frame, that's fine. But if you're really going to do that, just hand the ball to Noah and let him run up the gut. Like, do I, I, anything other do than anything that play. Other than that play. Um, all right, so let's wrap up. Uh, we'll wrap up with a breakout player, uh, if you have one, and one final bold prediction for this offense. Um, like I said, quick episode. Not you know, there's only so much you can speculate. Um, but who is your pick for breakout player of this season? I'm going with Theo Johnson. Uh, you know, I was I thought he was going to do a little bit more last season after Pat got hurt. I thought he was going to step up and be the number one target. He wasn't, but he gets an entire actual offseason under his belt. He's got the physical tools. He's huge. And there is no, like, proven star at tight end right now. And there's not a ton of, like, proven depth at wide receiver. I think you could see him getting a lot of looks. I completely agree. I think I think the competition between him and Strange is going to be fun. I think it's going to be good for both of them. Um, you know, having that battle of, of them both trying to prove it uh, will be really good. And, you know, Theo Johnson, good... all Big Ten tight end this year. Love that. Listen, a good tight end is a quarterback's best friend. We've been we've been lucky with Kasiki and Fryermuth. I would love for Theo to be next in line. I like that a lot. Uh, my pick for breakout player. I've talked about this on Twitter. It's it's. I don't know how you measure this or how you how you even really watch it, but I'm going Juice Scruggs, man. Uh, offensive lineman. Very weird to talk about an offensive lineman as a breakout player, but watching just the very little tape that I've watched and seeing what he's capable of. Um, <laughs> You know, we, we've we've gone on every year kind of with our offensive line, just like 
yeah, we've got some guys who have a lot of experience, you know, Menet and Fries and Gonzalez and, you know, a lot of guys that are playing in the NFL, uh, Ryan Bates, like these guys are playing in the NFL, but they were seventh round draft picks or undrafted free agents. Like, you know, they, they, they were good enough. Um, I think Scruggs can be a guy who like, you're watching him. You're watching him on plays and seeing him just demolish kids opening up lanes, um, which will be such a nice feeling to like actually pay attention to an offensive lineman. Uh, so I think in addition to, you know, the tackles who we've talked about already and Miranda, who should be a stalwart in the middle, I think Juice Scruggs is going to be a name that everyone after this season will know. And finally, one bold prediction to hang your hat on. What's one bold prediction you're going to say for this okay. offense? I touched on it. I'm sticking to it. I'm going to say this is going to be Sean Clifford's season. Sean Clifford is going to have a bounce back year. He is going to be an all Big Ten quarterback this year. I love it. I love it. That is bold. That is unbelievably bold to say that he's an all Big Ten quarterback. <laughs> all Big Ten. Uh, hey, put it out into the ether. It's out there. It's in the world. Sean Clifford, we love you. Uh, my bold prediction kind of has to do with the wide receiver room. Uh, so we talked about um, how there's some younger guys, too, in that group. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Daniel George and Cam Sullivan-Brown. And, again, love them both. I'm sure they're great humans. Um, my bold prediction is that one of the young guys uh, that came in with uh, Lambert Smith and Washington uh, is going to surprise us and, and be a real impactful player. So that's Jaden Dotton and Malik Mega. Uh, Malik Mega, 6'4", 200. So if you want a big wide receiver, um, you know, he's the tallest wide receiver we have at 6'4". Um, Jaden Dotton, 6'2", uh, 186, a little bit smaller. Um, but these are two guys that kind of fit that – that mold that we're looking for in, in a bigger wide receiver. Um, and, and I just haven't seen it from Daniel George and Camp Sullivan Brown. So bold prediction by the end of the year, you guys are going to be cheering for either Malik Mega or Jaden Dotton. What a cool name, Malik Mega. It is a really, I think it's pronounced Mega. It's M-E-I-G-A, but I'm, I gotta be Mega. Until we, until we get corrected, it's Mega. <laughs> um, so that's it. Uh, that's our that's our prediction on the offense. Um, we will have one more episode next week uh, previewing the defense, and then we're into the season. The week after that, we'll do a live live preview show for the Wisconsin game. Um, we'll try that this year. We did it last year. We're each each week, you know, Wednesday or Thursday night, depending on schedules. We you know go live on YouTube or, or something where you guys can come chat with us, talk through the game, do some predictions. Um, we'll look to do that again. Uh, shameless plug we are running another uh, touchdown survivor pool this year uh, a lot of you guys played last year we did a big 10 touchdown survivor pool it was a lot of fun this year we are opening it up to power five uh pat you gonna play oh hell yeah hell oh, yeah power five, pat. come on power five pat i like that uh so it's a fun contest 10 bucks to enter you pick a player each week that you think is going to score if they score you move on simple as that if you don't you're out. Um, a lot of fun. Check it out. The link is on our Twitter. Um, easy to sign up. Ten bucks. A lot, a lot of fun. Football is back. I want to gamble. I want to bet. I want to be in as many pools as I possibly can. And most of all, I want this offense to dominate. Pat, any last words for the fans? Yes. Uh, Going to do a quick shout out to the Nittany Lion Wrestling Club, who had a great Olympics, man. Uh, we had Jane Valencia, first Mexican woman ever to wrestle in the Olympics. Ooh. Franklin Gomez in his third Olympics for Puerto Rico. This is going to be a tough one for me. Bexad Abradurkamanov. Okay. <laughs> Abradurkamanov, I want to say. Sure. Bronze medal for Uzbekistan. Ooh. Helen Maroulis, comeback. Bronze medal for the United States. Thomas Gilman, 
bronze medal for the United States and a hair away from a gold medal. Kyle Snyder, silver medal for the United States. And the group, of course, headlined by the magic man, David Taylor, 86 kilogram gold medalist, taking down an absolute legend in Hassania's Donnie for the third time in a row. The only guy who has beaten Hassania's Donnie in like six years. Jeez. And listen, I, you know, I, I do want to take a minute to like talk about what David Taylor has been through as a wrestler. This is a guy who came up, won everything as a youth and high school wrestler. I mean, everything was supposed to be the next Kale Sanderson comes up and there's a lot of drama about him kind of forcing out uh, Bubba Jenkins out of the lineup. He transfers to Arizona state and then David loses to him in the NCAA finals that year as a true freshman. Oh, and then David's junior, junior year, he goes up against probably the second best all-time college wrestler to Kyle Dake and loses in the NCAA finals. He, he comes away, you know, has a great career, comes away with two NCAA championships. And from 2011, 2012 till 2018, David Taylor got stuck behind five-time world and Olympic champion Jordan Burroughs and Kyle Dake, one of the only guys to beat him in college, never made a world team for six years. David wow. Taylor just was the second or third best guy in the country while he could have been winning world medals if those guys weren't there. He moves up to 86 kilograms, beats the Iranian le- legend Hassan Yazdani. The next year, he tears his ACL in a charity match and misses out on the 2019 World Championships. Oh, that's brutal. And he comes back in 2020, and there's all these questions. He has to go into the Olympics completely unseated, and he tech falls his way into the finals and then takes down an absolute legend to win gold again. I mean, David Taylor has been through it and deserves all the credit in the world. He is an absolute legend, man. Round of applause for the Magic Man. David yes. Taylor, gold medal i saw i was following along i remember it was uh because it was like late i think it was like early in the morning our time oh yeah i stayed up till five in the morning i'm sure you did i, I woke up <laughs> and i saw it on twitter it's david taylor wins the gold and oh what a I moment especially cried. more so knowing knowing his backstory that's that's amazing it was it was everything and the amount of willpower took me to not be screaming in my apartment at five in the morning waking up my girlfriend was through the roof <laughs> there was so much silent celebrating I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, we'll shout out to all of our wrestlers that were at the, at the Olympics, making history, winning medals, uh, and hopefully some of that good luck rolls over into this football season. Again, we are two weeks away, two weeks away. Good vibes only, positive vibes. Sean Clifford's here. Mike Yarsich season. Let's fucking go. We are.